0: We are in um, Matthew chapter 17 this morning. Um, and I wasn't going to originally preach on this passage. I was going to skip this chapter and jump to Matthew 18. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. As I was, as I was reading through, i like, I have to preach on, on this passage. Listen, I don't know how we're going to get to the resurrection by Easter, but we're going to get there, praise the Lord. So uh, Matthew 17 this morning, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there with me. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are some in the seat pockets in front of you. Um, you can use that to follow along. If you don't own a Bible, take one of those. It's our gift to you. We want you to have it. We're also going to be putting uh, the verses on the screen, or you can use your phone or device, too. Um, it's amazing how many um, sources of the Bible that we have today, how much access we have to God's Word. Um, but in, in a world where people disregard it more than they ever have probably. Um, so let's, let's honor the Lord by, by looking into his word this morning and letting it impact us and speak to us. Would you just join me in prayer as, as we begin this morning? Heavenly Father, we believe that your word is truth. And we believe that you gave us this word to teach us, to instruct us, to help us to become more like you. Lord, I pray that uh, today we would soften our hearts to hear your word today. Lord, that our ears would be open, that our eyes would see the truth, Lord, and that it would change us on the inside, Lord, that it would impact us in an incredible way. Lord, I pray that I would get out of the way so that you could speak to people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So just to kind of give you a recap of where we've been the last couple of weeks, Jesus has been performing miracles. In fact, a few weeks ago, we talked about the healing of the Canaanite woman. Um, He's been teaching in parables. Uh, Remember the parable of the sower that we covered a few weeks ago? He's been fighting with the religious leaders. That's an ongoing theme throughout the book of Matthew. Um, He's been performing miracles Ones that we didn't even talk about in this series, like the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 and Jesus walking on water. We didn't cover any of those, but they were incredible events in the life of Jesus. And so today, we're picking it up in Matthew chapter 17. And last week, um, we were in Caesarea Philippi, which is a city on the coast of the Mediterranean in Israel. It's a beautiful city. Um, it was one of my favorite places that we visited when I was in Israel. I mean, the water is just just beautiful blue, and there's all of this Roman architecture that, that existed at the time of Jesus. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 17. And here's what it says. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now, there is some debate as to which mountain they climbed. We don't really know. It doesn't say. It just says a high mountain. The traditional site for um, this particular uh, event in Scripture is a place called um, Mount Tabor. Now, the problem with Mount Tabor is that it's not a very high mountain. In fact, it's probably a hill would be... Uh, a better description of it. It's about seventeen hundred feet up. so I mean it, it's it's a, I guess you could call it a mountain, and the location would fit well for being close to to a city so that we see when that Jesus comes down the mountain at the end of the story that he runs into a crowd. Because the other site um, that's possible here is Mount hermon and And I think this is probably the more likely a mountain that they were talking about. It is a very high mountain. In fact, uh, in the wintertime, there's snow on that mountain. You can even go skiing on Mount Hermon. Um, and uh, it, it was very close to Caesarea Philippi as well, so that would make sense um, from where they took off. The problem is it's not near a populated area, so for them to come down the mountain and see a crowd, people would have to know that Jesus was there and essentially be waiting for him at the bottom of the mountain which wouldn't necessarily be a shocking thing either. Regardless of where it was, um, the disciples that went with Jesus, there were three of them, and these were the three that were closest to Jesus, and uh, Jesus kind of worked in different groups of people, right? He had the three, Peter, James, and John, that he spent the most time with, and then he had the 12. The other disciples would be included in that. Then there were Other groups of followers, like the people that he sent out uh, a few chapters ago, um, there were more of them, and and then there were the multitudes that Jesus would teach to as well. So in this instance, it's the most intimate of groups. It's Jesus and Peter and James and John, and they head up this mountain, and verse 2 tells us that he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. Some of you maybe said that as you came in this morning. Man, it's good to be in church. It's good to be in in the presence of God. And I think Peter was just having one of those moments right here. And here's what he says. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. That seems like uh, kind of a contradiction of terms right there. You have a bright cloud that created a shadow. I, I don't fully understand, but I mean, it was a big, white, bright cloud, and it created a shadow. And the voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased? Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. I would be too, right? <laughs> A voice from heaven there. Now, there's so much to unpack here. Uh, first of all, Jesus was transfigured before them. So, um, what we most likely assume here is that Jesus was in his glorified body, that um, as he will appear for all eternity in heaven, this is what the disciples got a glimpse of. And it's interesting that John was one of the three disciples with him because he got a picture of Jesus in his glorified body in the book of Revelation. In fact, he describes it in Revelation chapter 21, and maybe it was his recognition of Jesus from this moment where he was transfigured that was he was able to recognize him in his vision in, in the book of Revelation. But verse 23 of chapter 21 says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, and by its light will the nations walk. And the, king of, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So this picture of Jesus, his face shining like the sun, is something that, that ultimately we'll get to experience one day. That we'll see him face to face in his glory. And then it also says that Moses and Elijah showed up. Now that had to be a shocker because they've been dead for several hundred years. And I don't know exactly how... Um, Peter and James and John recognized these two because they'd never seen him. Uh, they didn't have pictures back then so that they wouldn't know exactly what he looked like. But um, I believe that that uh, God gave them a revelation in that moment that they knew who they were looking at. And um, and there are a reason that these two people were selected by God for this moment. I believe that they were representative of the law, which Moses was the author of the law, right? He wrote out the law and gave it to God's people. And then the prophets. Elijah was probably the greatest of all the prophets. And this um, idea of the law and the prophets is something that Jesus has referenced Multiple times up to this point. In fact, back in chapter 5, we looked at this passage. In verse 17, it says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So there's something symbolic here that's going on, that that God is giving the disciples this picture of the law and the prophets in the people of, of Moses and Elijah. And Moses and Elijah were witnesses to who Jesus actually is. So Peter does something here. He says, let's make three tents. Um, Now, it's very possible at this moment that it was the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles in Israel. Uh, The timeline would have fit, it would have been about this time that that festival would have been going on, and this was one of the, the three holidays where people would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem in that moment to celebrate this, and they would construct these tents, and, and maybe tent isn't isn't the, the best word, but it's these temporary shelters, and for a week, they would spend time in these outdoor tents celebrating Um, the Feast of Booths, and it was to remind them of the time that they were in the desert. It was reminding them of God's provision as he brought them out of the land of Egypt and into the desert. And so at this moment, they very well could have been celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, or maybe it was just around the corner. And Peter's like, I've got an idea. We have the man, right? The OG here, Moses, who was with God's people in the wilderness, Let's set up some tents right here and hang out for a little bit. And so now, here's um, Moses and Elijah. And Peter's like, listen, we'll make a tent for Jesus. We'll make a tent for Moses. We'll take, make a tent for Elijah. And we'll just spend uh, all week here hanging out with them, having conversations, learning about what it was like. Now, now And I think Peter is doing something that we as, as Christians do all the time. He made two mistakes in what he had to say. And um, as we just read, he was corrected by God the Father himself, like a voice from heaven. Now, it's been a rough couple of weeks for Peter, all right? Because just last week, we talked about Peter, how he made this big confession about who Jesus was. And Jesus was like, good job, Peter. You got it right. Well done. And then he said something else. And Jesus was like, hey, get behind me, Satan. So he had just gotten done being called Satan by Jesus, and now a voice from heaven (laughs) comes down and corrects Peter in this moment. And I think he's making two mistakes that that we make all the time. The first one is this, valuing experience over purpose. Remember what Peter said when when he saw Moses and Elijah? He said, Lord, it's good that we are here. And, And I would say that is an accurate statement, but it reveals something in his heart. Why is it that Peter wanted so badly to build a tent? He wanted this day to last forever. He wanted to stay here in this moment. He's thinking if we build a tent, we can stay here for a day or two or weeks, or whatever it might be. And as a Christian, we can almost all of us can relate to this in some extent. We want that moment. When something significant happened in our life, that experience that we had, that moment where God really impacted us, maybe it was a retreat or a camp or a time of worship or a church service, a time where you got away from your life and from all the busyness of the, that the world has to offer, and you had a moment with God. And those are good things. They're so important. Those moments are, are, bring life and energy, and they renew us. But the point of them is not to keep us in that moment. The point of those moments is to give us that enthusiasm and that energy to go back into the world that we live in, that those experiences on the mountaintop would translate into the way we live our lives in the valley. And Peter was was dealing with this, like being torn in the direction of of being his, his... Commitment to Jesus and the mission that that they have on this earth, and just enjoying this moment on the mountain. And sometimes we, as Christians, get so wrapped up in those mountaintop experiences that we just want to ignore the rest of our life. So we survive throughout the week looking for that next moment, for that next experience, for that next thing to carry us, when in reality, we should carry what happened in the mountain with us into the valley. That we can recreate some of that, that passion and enthusiasm that God has instilled in us and bring it to the world around us who so desperately needs to hear it. There were only three disciples that went up with Jesus onto the mountain. And so they had the responsibility of carrying back with them what God had put into their hearts in that moment. Second mistake that Peter makes is this. He places faith in people over God. Now, we all know that Peter's a little bit impetuous, right? Uh, I mean, he's, he's loud, outspoken. I mean, he's, he talks without thinking. And now he's being rebuked by God the Father himself. But you know what, what, what God is doing here is he's making clear who is who. right? Peter's plan is to make three tenths one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus, and the Father's making it clear that there's only room for one. There's only room for one. You know, we as Christians place our faith in people far too often. Um, there have been people in my life that have been absolutely critical in the development of who I am as a follower of Christ today. God used some people in my life to speak to me, to encourage me. Um, Many of them I looked up to, and I really respected them. Several of them are not even following Christ today. People that that I would put on a pedestal and say, you were important in my development as a believer. You were important in in instilling faith inside of me. Others have, have quit in ministry some have broken families. You know, honestly, I have a list of names going through my head right now. It's far too many. And it's painful for me to think about that and look at that and see where they're at now. And I have to try to reconcile, well, how, did, how were you so instrumental in helping me grow in my faith and yet so broken yourself? As a pastor, I hear this this phrase a lot. I've really been hurt by the church. Maybe you've said those words before. Um, and usually what that means is a pastor or a church leader or maybe someone who just goes to their church has done something to offend or to hurt them. And listen, if that's you and, and you would say, yeah, I, I relate to that. I'm sorry that happened to you. And I'm sorry that you were hurt. And And frankly, um, most of the time, those things shouldn't happen. But here's why it happened. And I want you to understand this. The church is made up of people. And we're all pretty messed up. Right? We're all broken. Listen, can I tell you something? I have been hurt by the church. But... Yet, I'm here today thoroughly invested in the ministry of the church. And I'm telling you that to explain to you that that people will always disappoint you. People will always let you down. And I'm not trying to be insensitive here. I understand there's been a lot of misuse of scripture, a lot of abuse by church leaders. A lot of things that, that we will have to answer for someday. Right, Scripture is very clear that, that there's a role for leadership in the church and that ultimately we're responsible for how we stewarded that position that God has placed us in. And so if, if you've been abused by church authority in the past, I'm not saying that you should just suck it up and that you, that you shouldn't feel badly about that. No, that's horrible and that's wrong. And that's something that we are working to be better at as a church as a whole. But the fact is that people are always going to fail you. They're always going to make mistakes. And if your hope is in people, then your hope is in the wrong thing. And I'm saying this proactively because, listen, you're here today, and maybe uh, you're feeling good about the church that you attend. Maybe you love being here. Maybe you're wrestling with it, and you're feeling frustrated by the church. Um, listen, at some point, you're going to be upset with somebody. You're going to be mad at somebody. You're not going to be happy with the way that they handled something or the way that they talked to you. And listen, I I hear this all the time as as people maybe um, come to a new church. In fact, that's usually the first step when they're hurt and frustrated by somebody in the church is they're like, well, listen, I'm going to just try a different church. Because maybe I'll find a church then where people will love me and care about me in the right way. And so they they switch to a different church. And then the same thing happens again. Somebody fails them. Somebody lets them down. Somebody disappoints them. And eventually you run out of churches to try, right? And you realize that. Uh, Maybe maybe the church is the problem. Maybe I don't need to go to church anymore. Maybe I don't need the church at all. Maybe my faith in Jesus is is what's important. And so you walk away from the church. And then at some point, you translate your experience to God himself. You know... I've heard a lot of people say, I left the church because I was hurt by someone in the church. I've never heard one person say this, I left the church because I was really hurt by Jesus. You know, here's, here's the truth of the matter. If our faith is in people, you will always be disappointed. But if your faith is in Jesus, he will never let you down. And you can walk through any situation. You can be hurt by someone else. And and, and listen, you still will be, right? Because people are messed up and broken. But Jesus is the one who sustains you through that process. (laughs) Peter is like Moses and Elijah, right? And the father is telling him, they are people. But Jesus, though he's, fully human, is also my one and only son. He won't disappoint you. He's the one that matters. This is what the enemy does. Right? He uses people to create bitterness, to create unforgiveness, to create tension in our hearts. And now... Because of that unforgiveness, that seed of unforgiveness in our hearts, now we become people that hurt other people. Right? Satan's manipulating people all the time. And if you allow that root of bitterness in your heart, it's going to create problems for you. But if your hope and trust is in Jesus and him alone, he's going to give you the ability to forgive people even when they do hurt you even when they are wrong, even when they're sinful, because that's what his grace does. When we understand what we've been forgiven of, he gives us the ability to forgive others. The church has problems because the church has people. And can I tell you something? You and I are both people and problems. <laughs> that was the Father's message to the disciples. This is all about Jesus. So let's keep reading verse 6. It says, When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Now, if I heard a voice from heaven, that would probably be my response to like That would scare me. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now that's a visual right there. Here's Moses and Elijah. Here's this moment of encountering the power of God. And who's left? It's Jesus. And what does he do? He doesn't sit there and chew them out. Peter... You idiot, you did it again. No, he puts his hand on his shoulder and comforts him and says, Hey, it's okay. Pick your head up. I'm still here. I'm still with you. Verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why did the scribes say that Elijah must come? Uh, Okay, so now we're back to um, the scribes and the Pharisees. And, And remember, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how Jesus is saying, listen, stop listening to these people, the Pharisees and the scribes. They will mislead you. They will pull you down. They'll drag you into a pit. It's like the blind leading the blind. And he answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. And so the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking about John the Baptist. All right, so there's, um, there's a lot there. We don't have time to dive into to everything um, this morning. But once again... The disciples' misunderstanding of what the kingdom that Jesus was about to bring is causing them to misunderstand the scriptures, right? They're expecting still at this point that somebody would come as a great Messiah and lead them to victory over the Roman Empire, right? It's about politics. It's about military. It's about all of these things that the world craves, that the world desires. And Jesus is saying, that's not what my kingdom is about, In fact, you're expecting Elijah to come in this supernatural way and lead the charge so that Israel can be restored as a great kingdom here on this earth. But I'm telling you that Elijah already came, and they already ignored what he had to say. In fact, a couple of chapters ago, he just died. He was killed by Herod. And they got it. They understood at this point that John was this picture of Elijah, that this prophecy was about the forerunner for Christ, that it was about John the Baptist himself. Listen, until we understand what the kingdom of God is about, then we will never be successful in seeing it built in our world. Right? We have to stop thinking about the kingdom of God like worldly people. I mean, that's what the disciples were doing. They were thinking about it in the same way that they always had. They wanted to see something happen on a national level. They wanted to see the kingdom of Israel reestablished. And God's saying, listen, Israel is important, um, You know, and and I care about my people, and, and he still came to that nation. But that wasn't what he came to build, to establish. He's saying, listen, what I'm bringing is way bigger than that. Right? This is for the entire world. This is transformational. This is going to change the way that people relate with the Father. And so he's giving them revelation in this moment that, that what John was preaching, that what Jesus has been teaching, that this is the kingdom that's being built. It's not a political kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. And it's going to bring hope to the world. Now, we could stop there. But I want to keep going because I believe that this next story is connected to what just happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. So verse 14, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. And for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. You know, sometimes Jesus is harsh with people, isn't he? Right? And like, oh. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed Instantly, And his disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. I want to suggest something to you this morning as the worship team comes. I want to just um, connect these two events, right? Because this is something that had been going on, that this boy came to the disciples and they tried to heal him. They tried to, you know, uh, essentially pray for this boy that, that, that he would be healed, and they failed. And Jesus came back to them and said, Oh, you have little faith. Right, you twisted generation. <laughs> and he rebuked them for their lack of faith. I believe that in this moment, Jesus brought Peter and James and John up the mountain to experience something supernatural that would build their faith for the work that they were going to do. Now, There are other translations. Maybe the Bible that you have, there's another uh, little portion tagged on and it says something along the lines of, um, this kind comes out only through prayer and fasting. Now we read that in Mark's account of the gospel. It's not in all of the manuscripts. So the reason that certain translations remove that is because they think that it was added on from what Mark wrote about this event. I think that's probably right to take that particular chunk out, and if you read Mark's version, it says this kind comes only out through prayer. Now, I will say this: um, the reason that I think that that that's right is what Jesus was addressing here was not that the disciples didn't pray and fast for this demon to come out. Right? That's that's a works-based healing, if that's the case, right? He's saying, okay, listen, you need to pray, you need to fast, and then um, then God will do that if, if you're sincere or genuine enough, if you fast enough, if, right? But God doesn't work that way. He doesn't demand works on our part for him to move, right? He asks us to, to operate in faith. It's my opinion that what Jesus was addressing there, and, and he does say something along these lines that we read in the book of Mark, is that he was talking about their unbelief. Right? That they had this residual unbelief. They were struggling with doubt, with fear in that moment because they hadn't spent time in prayer and fasting and growing closer to the Lord and hearing his voice. Right? We know that faith comes by hearing the word of God. And yet so many of us today are living in a vacuum isolated from the voice of God. We don't even think about opening the word of God. We don't even think about spending time in prayer. We live our lives. We go through the motions. And the only time that we might hear something from the Lord is when we show up on a Sunday morning. for church. Listen, if you want to move in the kingdom of God, if you want to experience... His presence, then you need to build up your faith. And you do that by hearing the word. Do that by spending time in His presence, by letting Him speak to you, by understanding your identity in Christ and who you are. We constantly have to wrestle with unbelief. The disciples, as much as they had seen in this moment, were struggling with unbelief. And it's God's word that builds up our faith. Sometimes we think the answer is, well, you just got to have more faith. You just got to believe. You just got to will it, right? You just got to fight through it. I need more faith. I'm going to say it louder until I start to believe it. See, the problem with that is that's faith in faith, not faith in Jesus, But as we open his word, and we hear about who he is, as we spend time in prayer, and we hear his voice on a regular basis, now your faith is increasing. Now you're beginning to walk in confidence because you know who he is, you know what he says about you, you know the truth of his word, and now you're able to move and operate in the gifts that he's given you. It's not about stirring up faith inside of yourself and and willing yourself to do it. If I just try a little bit harder, listen, you try a little bit harder, you know where that's going to get you? Damnation and hell. Right? That's, That's what our efforts do for us. It's only by the grace of God that we are saved. So what makes us think that anything that we do for the kingdom of God is any different? It's about understanding who he is and what he's able to do. It's about having that moment like Peter had, realizing that it's not about Moses, it's not about Elijah, it's not about the experience of that moment, it's about Jesus and who he is. Listen, church, if we begin to realize that and understand that and recognize that who he is and what he's capable of there is nothing that can stand in our way but if we place faith in people in experiences in emotions in ourselves we're always going to be disappointed as we close today I just want to ask God to speak to us right now that he would give each one of us a revelation of who he is in this moment. That as we're listening to his voice, that he would speak the truth to us, build up faith in our hearts. I am gonna ask that you would just receive this as I pray. Lord, speak to your church right now. Lord, remind us of who you are and who you've created us to be. Lord, I pray that, that our unbelief wouldn't be a hindrance to what you wanna do through our lives. But Lord, that as, as we hear your voice, as we read your word, Lord, that you would build up faith in our heart. Lord, we thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you that we don't have to fear tomorrow Thank you that we don't have to face anything alone because we walk with you. So we trust in you this morning. We give you praise. Your name. Amen. Would you stand?